My mother would point out that of the commandments, there's only one that has a condition attached to it, a positive condition, and that is, of course, a fourth commandment, honor your father and mother, and there's a reason, uh, perhaps, that she would pick that out. And, of course, the condition is so that it will be well for you on the land. My mom would point out that, of course, if you disobey, I will take you out. You will not have a long life. But when it comes to the commandments, it's important for us to remember that while um, many times most of us won't, won't uh, break the letter of the law, I mean, after all, most of us are not murderers or adulterers or, or whatever, but uh, Christ invites us to go beyond the letter of the law into understanding, a, a deeper understanding, that the little lies, the little things that we do, the little uncharities and the ways we speak about one another in negative ways. We can murder people's spirits, and we do that sometimes with almost impunity. We think we'll get away, from, away with it. And so it's important for us to review our consciences, and in fact the Church uh, teaches us we should review our consciences uh, regularly, every day, prefer- preferably go to the Sacrament of Reconciliation to uh, confess those sins on a regular basis. Once a month is not uh, out of the, out of the uh, norm. And some go once a week. I, I know uh, the story of St. John Paul II went almost every day. Well, he's a saint. If he's a saint, boy, I should be going every hour. Or maybe every minute. I never get anything else done. But there's something that, that happens when we don't do that. And I think that's the reason why the Church in her wisdom pairs this first reading, the reading of the Ten Commandments, with our Gospel reading, the cleansing of the Temple. This cleansing of the Temple occurs in the very second chapter of John's Gospel, so very early on, of course, in Jesus' ministry. In the uh, other Gospels, it occurs later, right before uh, the Passion, uh, actually, in, in uh, Gospel of Luke, if I recall. And here it is setting up Jesus' ministry, that what Jesus literally does in the temple, he's doing for all humanity. That as he goes into the temple, he sees something that ought not be there. He sees the exchange tables, the money exchange tables. He sees the oxen and the sheep. He sees the doves. And he's angered. We have to remember, just like a few weeks ago, we had the temptation. Temptation is not a sin. Anger itself is not a sin either. And St. Thomas Aquinas would tell us anger is a passion. Passions are neither positive or negative. It's what we do with them that becomes positive or negative, sinful or, or laudable. Anger is the recognition that there is an evil, a wrong, and injustice that needs to be righted. Sometimes that injustice is in us, that uh, somebody says something that we take wrong, and so we need to work through that ourselves and let go of that anger and, and be healed. Other times, it's an injustice that we really have really has been incurred. So, example, if you say something negative about me and I get angered, that I need to go to the Lord for healing, but if you poke me in the eye, I probably have a right to say stop. That would cause some anger. 
Again, anger is not necessarily wrong, but it's a call to writing something that is wrong. And what we do with that anger then becomes the issue. Note, though, that it is not wrong for the money changers or the, uh, the sellers of the animals to have done that at all. And just a little geography of the uh, temple area. The temple was set up, if you want to imagine, kind of rings. There were, there were walls and gates uh, for the different rings, but uh, it was set up that outside the temple mount, uh, of course, the, that was outside the purview, that was where the animals and the money exchangers should have been. But inside the temple mount, there would have been the court of the Gentiles, where all were allowed, even those that were not Jewish. Inside that, the court of the Jews, that Jewish men, women, and children would have been allowed. Inside that, the court of the men. Inside that, the court of the, the priests, that only the priests could go in. And inside that, of course, the temple itself, the Holy of Holies. And only the high priest once a year could go into the Holy of Holies before the Ark of the Covenant was hidden by Jeremiah. The Ark of the Covenant was in that very Holy of Holies. That temple area, the whole thing was a place of prayer. It didn't matter what court you were in. And like I said, the animal exchange or animal sellers and, and coin exchange was a necessary thing. People would come from far and wide, Jewish people, to offer sacrifice. And sometimes that sacrifice was a tribute, a money offering. Well, the temple would not want coins that had borne uh, images of kings and various others of human beings that got a little too close to breaking that commandment of idolatry. And so there would have to be some way of exchanging the coins that they brought with coins that would have been acceptable in the temple. So money exchangers were a necessary thing. Or imagine traveling. You did not want to travel with an ox or a sheep because along the way that ox or sheep could break its leg, in which case it's no longer acceptable sacrifice. Or uh, uh, in the Feast of Presentation we heard of how uh, Mary and Joseph offered a pair of turtle doves for the ransom of our Lord. And when they presented, they had to buy back the Lord from, from God the Father, uh, Jewish uh, understanding of things. It's kind of hard to catch two doves. And so there were people that did this and then sold those doves. Again, it's a necessary thing. It's a very necessary thing. But not in the temple itself. And that's why Christ is angered, because they're creeping into that temple area and not allowing it to be. And to be honest, it probably started very simply. Oh, gee, there's a lot of us here today. Well, we'll just go to the, to the outside of the wall, right outside the wall of the court of the Gentiles. Oh, gee, there's a little bit more. Well, maybe we'll just set up shop on, on the wall. Oh, you know, just inside. Just, and all of a sudden, more and more and more. And Jesus drives them out because it is a temple, a place of prayer. One thing to remember, and I had a professor that was quite adamant about this, in the, uh, in the Greek world, and actually the Roman world, 
uh, they set up temples for one reason, is simply they did not want the gods to interfere with their lives. That sounds rather uh, bad, but if you know Greek mythology, anytime Zeus interacted with humanity, one of two things happened. One, somebody ended up dead, or two, somebody en ended up pregnant. There is almost no time in Greek mythology one or the other did not occur. And so you didn't want the gods meddling with you, and so they set up temples that, and basically told the gods, if, you, if we want you, if we, if we, we need to communicate you, with you, we're going to go to the temple. Well, the Jewish people did not have that understanding. Instead, they had the temple because when I go to the temple, I know that I will experience God there. I know that while he is God of the universe, at the temple, we will experience him, encounter him. Because that's where God in his glory dwells. Again, that Ark of the Covenant, how the, his uh, glory came upon that Ark of the Covenant, filling the, the Holy of Holies with his presence, which is why the high priest could only go in once a year, on the day of Yom Kippur. He would whisper the name of God and pray to God he was worthy and not struck dead. So, when Jesus is asked for a sign, he tells them, destroy this temple, and they're, they're incensed. They're angered. This temple has been under construction 46 years. See, Herod the Great began a renovation uh, process. The first temple was, that Solomon had built had been destroyed. The second temple was after the Babylonian exile. It was built kind of in haste. Herod the Great decided it's time to renovate. And if you... Uh, get the privilege of traveling, you can see some of the renovations that he did even yet, 2,000 years later. There's particular stones that archaeologists will point to and said, will say that's a stone that Herod the Great had set. There's a very distinctive uh, big border around the stone. The temple itself was destroyed, but for 46 years it had been in renovation. <laughs> You're going to raise it up in three days? But of course, we know Jesus is talking about the temple of his body. Well, in his very flesh, humanity experiences God. That's why he can call himself the temple. And in his death and resurrection with the descent of the Holy Spirit and Pentecost, we become the body of Christ, too. And we become temples. So just as the temple itself the literal temple of the Jewish people have been corrupted by the increase and the slow creep of uh, these money exchangers and sellers of animals. So too, I think it happens to us individually, which is why the church gives us this to meditate on, on this third Sunday in cycle B. In cycle A, we would hear coincidentally of the woman of the well. But in cycle B, we hear of the cleansing of the temple because Christ wants to cleanse each and every one of us. And it starts out so simply. It starts out very simply. I'll share the story with uh, being cautious. Um, but uh, there's a particular woman I, I knew long before this began. And long in and in in not, not just making it up, but in a distant parish, not even in our diocese. She got a position with the parish as bookkeeper, and she found herself in a little trouble. She didn't have enough to pay a particular bill. And so she just wrote out a check, $100, from the church account 
to pay that bill. Well, the next time she was a little short, it became a little easier to write out. She didn't have as much of a moral quandary, apparently, and wrote it out. And more, and more, and more. It started out so simple. And she always told herself in the back of her mind, apparently, I can always pay it back. Well, after a course of about three years, no one overseeing her, no one correcting the pastor, not, not seeing it, catching it, a new pastor coming in, and all of a sudden he realizes something's not quite right. And she was caught. Over $30,000, apparently. Gone. It started out so simple. And isn't that just kind of an analogy for our own, our own lives? It starts out, I'm just going to, this little white lie. And the next time it becomes a little easier to tell that lie. Or I'm just going to go here on this website and all of a sudden you find yourself deep. Or you don't correct yourself when you find yourself gossiping. And all of a sudden, you're the gossip of the town. Yes, while many of us, most of us, are not serial murderers, serial adulterers, various other ways of breaking these commandments, we have these little ways. It's a slow creep. And the Lord would come in and say, get out. Not to us, but to the evil that our hearts reside because we are temples of the Holy Spirit. We are called to be temples. We are called to be made holy. There's a reason the church tells us we should go to the sacrament of reconciliation frequently. There's a reason the church tells us we should examine our conscience fervently, daily, because it is a slow creep, and the Lord wants us to be cleansed. This Easter, my prayer is that all of us can stand before the Lord who will will say, I wish to become indwelling in you again. Because of my resurrection, because of Christ's resurrection, he can do this. As we come this day, we ask the Lord to help us to be cleansed, help us to be aware of those little things, those little ways that sin begins to take up our hearts, and that Christ would come in and drive them out.